Welcome to season two of the Young Player Wellbeing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Antonio Capasso, alongside fellow co-host Brad Fullerton. Both Brad and I are practicing trainee sport and exercise psychologists and use our experience and knowledge to bring sports psychology and wellbeing concepts to life. But we don't do this alone. We speak to highly specialised guests who also share their personal and professional experiences with wellbeing and sports psychology. On the pod, we encourage listeners interested in all things sport to tune in whilst we provide insight into what working in the world of sport is like. We ask our guests the right questions to provide you with a deep dive into their specialised area of expertise and hope that after listening to each episode, you have taken something away with you. We want to redefine what making it in sport looks like. We hope that by speaking to guests who have made a successful career in sport, we can do just that. Now, let's get into another episode of the Young Player Wellbeing Podcast. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome back everyone to another episode of the podcast. Um, Of course you'll be relieved to hear that I'm back. I know Brad was a little bit sore, a little bit salty last week that I wasn't able to make it but I did have a listen. It was another great episode. He did very well without me so congratulations Brad and uh, how are you getting on this week? Yeah thanks for that Tony. You left me hanging last week but it's all good. (laughs) Uh, Yeah it was a good episode. Uh, Yeah I'm all good. Just busy 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 i'm not gonna get into the details because i think you've heard that from me every five <laughs> times today so we can crack on yeah. yeah we won't we won't um highlight what you've got coming up in the next few weeks as i know it's been looming over you already so um we'll just move straight on to introducing our guest for today's episode so i guess today is um he's he's done just about everything under the sun when it comes to coaching players supporting players um and you know getting just about any coaching qualification he could get his hands on he's he's gone out and done it and then he's got incredible experience which i'm sure we'll get through um as we go throughout this show um but just to sort of highlight a couple he's got a bsc in sports science um he's got an msc in sports psychology and a phd in kinesiology which i absolutely butchered when i was asking him just to clarify what it was earlier on um he was a head coach at fc rosengrad um, an assistant coach at Okimos High School. I'm sure you'll correct me on that one in a second. Also a scout for late development um, at Queen's Park Rangers. So, Lucas, how are you getting on? Very happy, happy to talk to you guys. And uh, thanks a lot for the opportunity to share my ideas and my experience with everyone. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, yeah, thank you for, for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on. And just I'm, I'm sure Brad's also very excited to hear about all your experience and your knowledge and uh, also it's quite nice because you've come you've uh, grown up probably about as far away from the UK as you can sort of get so it'll be great to hear about your experiences and and some of the journeys that you've been on in your life so uh, without further ado we'll, we'll start cracking on and if you could just tell us a little bit about your experience in sport growing up so what you did uh, what sport you did how did you get into it and what level did you play at? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, uh, born and raised in Sao Paulo, Brazil. It was the, uh, I was no different than most of the boys uh, growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, where just the, the only thing we had in mind was to become a football player. 
And uh, I feel like the one of the biggest incentives for me to enjoy the sport a lot was my my dad being a, a former professional referee. So I was always surrounded by uh, football kit, football gear, and being taken to 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 watch him. Sometimes like hear a few things about him from the players that give him some crap, but it was uh, it was very motivating for me to be around. And then I started playing football uh, as in brazil we mostly start playing futsal like uh, indoor football and i played that for from when i was 11 all the way till i was 14 just grassroots local uh, community clubs and i i wasn't the greatest in the beginning then i started improving a lot and around 14 i wanted to do my my jump into 11 aside which back in the days we didn't have the uh, seven, five aside, seven, nine, eleven. So it wasn't a progressive uh, switch. It was more from five to eleven, and then that's where I got lost. I, I, I didn't have any any coaches back then to just to sit down with me and then just like, oh, Lucas, you're you're tall, skinny. You want to try as a goalkeeper? We can give you some like ABCs of that. Instead, I've just like decided which position I wanted to play and then uh, I failed 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 and I had no coaches to come in and just like this is how you stop a ball this is where you position yourself and then I just uh, faded out of the sport and in and which was really sad for me and around the age of 17 I, I I came across volleyball which is like one of the I can call it the second sport and in Brazil, and 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 I fell in love with it because he had a different atmosphere. The people playing the game were very different. The coaches that I came across with were way more positive and more attentive to the individuals there. And and I played for my my high school, which had a really strong team uh, back in in our region, and also played for my university my freshman year, which is like my first year of university, which is a decent level. Wasn't the greatest uh, there. I was mostly on the bench, and I feel like I started to get used to being on the bench. And perhaps this is why I became a coach because I, uh, I understood the game a lot from from the bench perspective. And so that's the idea of my my playing level. And and then after that, I decided moving into uh, studying sports science. And then and then it's just a it becomes a long story on, on that path. Yeah, no, great. Um... I love the fact that you changed sports and and sort of found that actually you really enjoyed it as a better environment to be a part of. I think I've had similar experiences with sport growing up. I've tried loads. Um, Anyone who listens to this will know that it's just like every single sport I seem to have managed to do at some point. Uh, I can definitely relate to that idea of being in a different environment and suddenly you're like, oh, actually, maybe this is more for me than, than what I was actually focused on and what I was really like fixated on for such a long period of time. So that's really nice to hear and um yeah it's interesting how again like the coaching environment and how <clears throat> coaches support a player can really impact the enjoyment and the level of satisfaction that a, a, a young person is getting out of a sport um was that something that uh, perhaps began to sort of tweak your interest um when it came to the different areas of sports science that you were looking to get into yeah i, I feel like it i didn't know right away why what I wanted to do, I, I believe the, the reason why I jumped into studying uh, sports science and PE was because my dad studied that as well. And it was just yeah. basically on that influence of me observing him and having him as my hero and and trying to follow his uh, footsteps, even though he tried to convince me to not go and do it because of 
uh, the, 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 the stigmas that are related to people studying sports, they, they, oh, they're, 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 they're not very intelligent, they're lazy people, so why are you gonna do this? You, you could have potential to do something else. And I, I wanted to break that stigma the, uh, of having people who are just like, oh, they don't know anything else to study, therefore they're gonna study sports. But back then I, I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. I, I don't know why actually. And then as I was like taking modules and meeting people and doing internships, I started changing what I wanted to do. And then at a point I wanted to be a player agent. I wanted to like uh, buy and sell players and support players to go into different clubs and transition into different stages of their lives. And then I realized that I, I hate selling. <laughs> Uh, I, I had like jobs that I had to sell things and I'm like, listen, if you don't want to buy it, I'm not the one who's going to convince you to, uh, because especially if I don't believe in, in the product. And, and then I'm like, what about coaching? And then one day I was in, I was already living in, in Canada. Uh, when that happened, I, I came across with a, a new coach called uh, Mark Dos Santos, who is now the assistant coach for uh, LAFC was the, the former coach for uh, White, uh, Vancouver Whitecaps. I emailed him because he had experience coaching in Brazil, has a Portuguese background, even though he's Canadian. And I'm like, hey, can I go check what you actually do about this thing called coaching? And he actually emailed back and he's like, just come over, I'll, I'll show you a few things and then you can ask, answer a few questions. And when I sat down with, them, with him, I spent a whole day and then I look at what he did. I'm like, you know what? This is exactly the type of influence I want to, I want to have in the field and then from that on i i decided to become a coach but more than that i wanted to be the coach that i've never had mm. and i wanted i wanted to do it differently and then we, we can go into the details of what that difference is but that i literally wanted to like i want to be the coach that i've never had yeah Fantastic. I love that analogy. Again, something that I really relate to, um, perhaps less from a coaching perspective, more just being that support person there that I perhaps wish that I'd got throughout my sporting journey or even just, you know, growing up. I think it's good to have that role model or, or another figure there to help support you. Um, in, for me, in specific relation to sport and what I needed in, in sport there, um, I thought that was brilliant. And just as I think you've naturally um start speaking about it there I'm, I'm interested to know especially um given that you grew up in brazil but as an athlete what were your personal experiences of well-being or psychology in your sport especially again like as i said given where you, you did grow up uh i didn't know what that was <laughs> uh there was no talk about anxiety or talk about depression or about overcoming anything that is psychological related so basically, and that's my perspective, my, some people might have a different view on that one. It's just that basically you, you have what it takes or you just don't, you cannot mm. develop. So if you're basically, if you have it, you, people are gonna pick up on it and you're just gonna survive. So unfortunately, in my opinion, in Brazil, we have so many great players because it's just a, a filter of a lot of people. But I believe if we actually did work on the on the psychological side, on the technical side, and specifically on the tactical side, I feel like we would have produced way more players than we actually do. So it's all relied on the natural. If you already are born with X, Y, Z, 
you get all the attention. If you are not, then it's just going to be neglected because football is 11 aside. So we need to put 10 people to play with that one person that has what it takes. So uh, I would say that that wasn't existent. That was no such a thing. There, there were no words, no talks. Uh, uh, if, if basically is that old school mentality that if something's going on with you, like your grandma uh, flip-flops hitting your ass will probably solve everything. And sometimes it was just a, beyond that. It was not just like a, your grandma just kind of like telling you off. Sometimes people may have needed more support. I needed more support, but I just didn't even, didn't, didn't even know what was going on. Mm. Yeah, it's, Lucas, it sounds like very fixed mindset in terms of you mentioned the phrase either you've got it or you don't and that is a bit of an old school phrase certainly in the UK as well and really interested in that idea that people from the outside or people who aren't from Brazil think that Brazil just have this natural talent where oh well Brazil are going to produce players again that's kind of aligning with that that fixed mindset that or oh, they just have talent they're born with it um but you're mentioning that it's because of the you know the actual the amount of players that come through and really interesting again that you said that if they had that psychological support you feel like brazil could be producing even more players now i just wanted to ask is that something that the fa in brazil or the equivalent of that have picked up on in recent years and and the aims of producing even more players? Uh, Definitely on the technical, tactical side. So it's it's a new thing to get coaching licenses in Brazil. So coaches are now going through uh, that that process. Brazil has a different uh, setup when it comes to who can be a coach. So the the physical education uh, organ there is the one that runs who can be a coach and who cannot. So there's no such a thing as uh, you, you're someone's parent and then you're going to volunteer to become a coach. You actually have to be, uh, you have to have a BSc in physical education or sports science to actually coach or have like a massive background in, in, in playing so you can come in with the experience route. So it's just not anyone who's doing that, which is a good thing in the long term. I'm really happy about this. Uh, but on the technical, tactical side, is definitely we are realizing that we've re- over relied on the technique uh, of the players. And when the game was all about the technique, then we were completely devast- like, uh, destroying other, other teams. But now teams learn how to compensate their lack of technique by having a, a nice organization uh, as a team. And that's where now we're seeing a lot of failure. Because our coaches uh, were not prepared to like teach technique. Our coaches were not prepared to uh, organize the team in in different styles. It was basically just pass the ball to this, the this, the best kid, and the best kid will sort will sort it out. And so, for example, I I listened recently listened to a, an interview by uh, Gabriel Jesus in a in a podcast in Brazil, and he talked he talked about Pep Guardiola teaching him how to where to pass the ball to to help the next person uh, evolve with the game. And I'm like, this is something that he should have been taught when he was 12, like where to pass the ball to if you want someone to give it one, two, if you want to put the, the ball uh, on, on the back foot. And he was learning that from Pep Guardiola. So that means that like, they made it without knowing these basic things that in England we already teach these things. 
so it is getting better. We're bringing a lot of uh, coaches from, from abroad, especially from Argentina and Portugal, which are bringing that tactical side to, to us. But there's a lot of uh, debate into losing the identity of the Jogo Bonito, of that flexibility, which, it, it, which is a big uh, discussion right now. On the psychological front, uh, it is becoming a thing now. We just heard uh, Richardson uh, giving an interview to The Athletic saying that he was uh, going to to look for a sports psychologist. And I throw my, my hat in the ring if he wants to come and chat with me. <laughs> yeah, me, me too as well. Me yeah, too. Don't, don't, don't <laughs> yeah, so it is, it, is, it is becoming more of a thing now. And, and hearing players like Richardson saying these things out loud and being captured by the, the, the mainstream media, it will definitely open a lot of doors and, and get the young kids to be like, hey, this is an option. Mm. Yeah, excellent. Um, yeah, really well answered and really interesting to sort of, again, discover a bit more about another country and, and what the growth of football is looking like and the support of athletes is looking like over there. Um, fantastic. And I think we've obviously mentioned it already in, in that you're from Brazil, you're currently in the UK, you've been in Canada as well. Uh, but just so that our listeners can get a little bit of a perspective of how much you have travelled, um, could you just give us a quick sort of rundown of the different countries that you've worked and studied in? Uh, definitely. So uh, I've been blessed to, to, to live, work and study in different countries and uh, I started, as I said, doing my undergraduate in Brazil, and then I've attended a, a, a workshop from, from some students in my university that went abroad and they just came back and they were talking about like the opportunities. And I'm like, I didn't even know that was a thing that could have done like study abroad. And I look into try to learn more about it and it just opens up a, a whole new world for me. And so during my undergrad, I went to Spain to do a little bit of study and, and PE in sports science. Then I went back to Brazil, graduated in my uh, undergraduate. Then I moved straight to Canada to do uh, some work in Ottawa. Uh, I was doing a, 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 like a certificate in, in general management. That's where I found out about coaching, coaching licenses. And then once I graduated there, I went to Sweden, to uh, Lund in Sweden to do my master's where I started like coaching uh, clubs from there and and taking Ryanair flights to the UK to get my FA licenses, sleeping in hostels and sleeping sometimes uh, overnight at the airport to get those early flights there, like 15 pounds and things like that. Uh, after that, I went to Germany to do the second part of my master's, went back to, to, to Sweden to, to finish it off. And then I moved to, to the U.S., uh, to Michigan, to do my Ph.D. and also to continue to work. Stayed there for four years. And then once I graduated, I moved to Italy in Milan, where I was just there to do a little bit of research, but mostly to coach. Stayed there until around the COVID time. And when I felt the calling that London was calling for me, and I made the move here just before Brexit ended. And, and it was the best decision I've made to come to this to this city. Yeah, fantastic, amazing. Can definitely agree with you that I'm I'm really enjoying being in London as well. So uh, yeah, big advocates there for uh, anyone that's looking to go London way. Um, but yeah, that's great. I mean, I didn't even realise. I mean, this is the third time now we've spoken together. I didn't realise you'd gone to Spain for a period of time as well. So um, incredible, a great 
experiences that you must have picked up along the way and I'm just interested to, to hear a little bit about how you believe that uh, traveling and, and experiencing the different cultures have perhaps shaped you as a person uh, we've had guests on in the past that have discussed how this has changed them and how it has had a very positive effect on them so it'd be great to hear from you what what your experience was like and, and why you think it well potentially why you think it, it's so important that people actually go out and, and do these experiences yeah there, i'll be very honest with with, with with my answer that there are pros and cons of moving around and uh, i'll start with the pros the pros are definitely it just showed me that there are different ways of living life uh, so, for example, uh, being raised in one place, you always thought that life it needs to be lived in a specific way when it comes to religion, when it comes to understanding of what, what morals of what is right and what is wrong. And then you start seeing other people being successful through going into different pathways. You kind of start ask, getting you to ask about like your, your beliefs and, and the ways you, you, you see things. And. And what I got out of it, I feel like I'm much more flexible now. I'm more uh, adaptable to when talking to people from different countries that I, I, I kind of uh, see that some, sometimes that there's not only one way of, of doing things, of fixing problems. There are different techniques. So, for example, I've coached in, in, in Singapore for, for a week. And I was doing that the, since I was, like, coaching educated in the UK. I was very much that, like, shouting on the side, off you go, boys. Off you go, like that very intense way of, of putting the message out there. And then the assistant coach uh, uh, at my time there came to me and was like, we don't shout that much in, in, in Singapore. It's just basically they say you do X, Y, and Z, and then they just literally take a step back and let the kids just figure out on themselves. And there's, you never hear them like raising their voices. So I captured that and I added it into my, my toolbox. And then I went to Italy and Italy is all about passion is parents they want to see you vibrating on the sideline and then otherwise you're not you're not like giving too much thought to it yeah. and so I, I i learned to bring that energy as well uh whereas in in the us when i was coaching i i showed that italian energy by throwing my notebook on the on the ground once and i got reprimanded by by the college uh because like this they 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 deemed it to not be like a positive attitude that I did or positive behavior because I just threw my my notebook on the ground. So it was just like I failed and I became aware of something and then I failed again and I became aware of something. So I feel like I'm more aware of of who I am and who I'm not, especially. Mm. Um, and on the the downside is that you make a lot of friends, but then you say goodbye to all of them. And that is, uh, I felt like uh, by moving around, I was growing to the sides, but I wasn't growing up, especially professionally, because of, um, I was, I, I got into, uh, for example, a different uh, club, and then I started meeting different people, and then I, my time there ended, I had to move somewhere else, and so I feel like that was the, the, the downside, and also the second and final thing is about like you, you start to have an identity crisis. You start to think right. about who you are and you start to think about like, uh, do I belong here? Do I not belong here? And especially when you go to, to societies, there are big contrast to where you grow up. So it does take a while for you to, to realize how to operate in that, in that place. And sometimes people just like, they just like, no, this is not for me. And sometimes you need to learn how to cope with it. Sometimes like, give up on things that 
you find to be right to just uh, to dysfunction. So it is not it's not all glory and all happy days. There's like some days that you you say something that you think is completely normal and then you just get backlash because it's not acceptable in that culture. So you go home and then you feel like, why am I doing here? So it, it has pros and cons, but I'm, I am the man I am today because I've traveled and I do not regret a single thing that I did, but it wasn't just flowers and rainbows for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really interesting to hear how it's kind of shaped you and the pros and cons are really good. Uh, so I appreciate that. And the idea of identity crisis, you know, where does that belong? Um, it sounds like along that journey you have managed to find solutions to that. Um, so positive to hear that and just interesting to hearing you growing from both failure and some experiences like uh, in Singapore, I can't do that. Okay, I won't do that, but I'll learn from it and I'll take it into the next job that I mm-hmm. go to. Same way that you do when you're in the States. So failure is a chance to learn is something that I took from that. And it's great to hear that your experiences have built up this toolbox for your coaching. Mm-hmm. Something someone mentioned to us in the past was like having a backpack of experiences and that kind of mm-hmm. resonates more way to that. So that was all really interesting. Lucas, cheers for that. Yeah, really great. Really great. I think I found, I found the idea around... Uh, like almost like an identity crisis because you've almost experienced way too many different cultures so sometimes I'm picking the ones that actually perhaps if I'm reading it right I'm picking the ones that actually you want to become a part of and you want to actually make up you as a person and the ones that you actually perhaps you don't value as much and they don't relate to what you want to be and how you see yourself have have I I sort of read that correctly yeah that's correct it 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 becomes very hard because you always like constantly uh, adapting and adjusting, mm. which gets to a point that you kind of, you don't forget who you are, but you, you just get so many ways of doing things that you, you don't know which one to pick up. And, and because you know a lot and you know about different ways, you, you always like, you, you, you get stuck like analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis and type of thing. Like you don't know which way to behave, which, know, which way is acceptable. So it's a blessing and a curse, but it's more a blessing than a curse because it will shape you to become stronger if you come out the other way uh, with uh, using your resilience. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And um, <clears throat> as we are speaking about culture and cultural differences, um, obviously it's something that's interested you. It's something you've experienced yourself. Um, and it's something that you've, I'm not sure if it's sort of research you've done specifically on it, but it's something that you've looked into yourself and, and studied in, in depth. So could you perhaps talk about um, from your, I guess, from a more like sports side perspective, what, you know, why taking into account sort of cultural differences and implications are so important? Uh, I mean, we've already briefly touched upon it there, but if you could go into a little bit more detail, on it, that'd be great. Yeah, so... Uh... I've had some experiences where I, I had to coach uh, a, a set of kids that had different ways of thinking. They had different religions. They, they, they came from different places. They had different up, upbringings and, and basically trying to find that, that there were so many cultures within one squad that I was like, which culture should we operate in? Should we operate in the culture that is hosting everyone, including myself, or should I, operate in the mainstream culture of my, my own team. Uh, and then 
by failing a lot in trying to pick one way of doing things, uh, I, I've learned and I'm in the process of like uh, enhancing that lesson into creating a culture for the team. So mm -hmm. just get the players on board and then see that they all think differently. They come from different places. Even if it's just London, like London is one city by just people have way too many different ways of doing things. And sitting down, just like, okay, respect all your culture. There's this beauty that you're going to bring into this. But what is our culture? And get the, the, the boys and girls to just uh, write down things on the paper. Do a very, like, uh, school type of activity of writing things down. And then, like, what, do you, what, do you, what does it mean for you to be on time? What, mm. what does it mean for you to be respectful? So, for example, in my culture, uh, the Brazilian culture is that every time you come into a, a session, you need to, you need to shake the coach's hand, and you need to look at them in the eye. Like otherwise, like they they, they will be mad at you, and it's just the thing. For example, in Brazil, if you go to a gym, it's not like a posh gym, but it's like a like a community gym. People shake everyone's hands, like even if you don't know them. If you go to a barber shop, you shake everyone's hands, even if you don't know anybody, including the barber. Like it's just the thing in the, the Brazil that I grew up in. And, and that manifests in football as well. So is shaking hands what we want to do is it's just fist bump. And it's silly things, but these things that, that, that do matter uh, in the grand scheme of things is to make sure everyone's on the, on, on the same page. So, but definitely getting the, the players on board and hear what they have to say. And then us as the adults try to just kind of facilitate and, 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 collect the, their answers but let them lead that and let them decide what the culture of our team can be and especially revising those things later on down this, the, the season because we every time in the beginning we always write down what is ideal and then when reality hits us then we see that like okay we're just being too idealistic here this is actually what is that what is working for us and then just going back and just revisiting these things because uh, I always tell my, my students in, in sports psych and coaching, like, don't start anything that you're not going to monitor. Don't mm. start anything that you're going to revisit again. Because otherwise, it's just like you're just setting yourself up for promising things and not finishing it. So make sure that you come back in and just revise that culture. And then hopefully uh, you can create a place where everyone is part of building that culture. And it's just not something that are coming in, into a place that is determining a culture on them. There are flexibility on, on some things as well, but ideally that is uh, the biggest lesson I take from it. No, that's great. I think it's a, it's a really important thing to, to put in. I like that idea is almost, as you said, you had so many different cultures there. It was like, okay, I, I can appreciate and respect that there are different cultures and people are going to have different values, but actually, you know, in terms of this team, while we're here in this environment, this is these are going to be... I guess what I'm hearing is these are going to be what our values are and what we expect from each other. Um, and this is going to be the culture, the type of culture that we're going to create from that. Um, I think it's I think it's something that a lot of sports teams try to implement. And I think it's great that our players are hearing why it's so important and, and why it can be so impactful. And I think, um, again, have you found that the, the players that embrace that the most are the ones that, one, end up standing out the most in terms of that team and then two actually end up gaining the most respect from the from the coaching staff I know you mentioned when you were speaking there that actually you have that sort of um, back and forth so you will listen to your to the players and, and you'll get that feedback from them 
Um, so is that something that you, you feel is, is really important for a player to make sure they're implementing? Yes, definitely. And uh, I was just, uh, as you were saying, I was thinking about some examples just to, to give people perhaps uh, examples of how those cultural differences can, can appear. So, for example, uh, I've developed a program for refugee kids in, in, in Michigan in the U.S. because uh, one of the problems with the, the, like soccer in the U.S. is access and finances. So it's people coming in from different backgrounds that they cannot access the, the, the training grounds or they don't have like the, the, the amount of money to pay. Uh, there's a lot of talent in the U.S. For, for, for soccer, for football, that ends up just being cornered because of those two things getting in the way. So I, I went there and we got a the club that I was working for. Like we got a, a scholarship for a few players that I knew that were really good. They were refugees from different places in, uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. And then they got the scholarship all paid for, but then they never show up to the training and we'll find out that there was no, there were no buses for them to, to make the commute all the way to the training ground. So we solved one problem, we found another one. And then as a solution, we created a, a program for, for refugees. So I created a team and I got a, a place near where most of them lived. And then for a first match, we said like, listen, kickoff is at one o'clock. Everyone should be uh, at this place at 12. So we can all commute to the, the, the place together. So I just assume everyone knew what being on time meant. So I had kids who came uh, quite early, around like 20 minutes before the, the meeting time, and two cars left, and we didn't have enough 11 to start the, the, the match. So I, I stayed behind with my car just to wait for the other, the other ones. And some kids came in like literally five minutes before kickoff. So we had to like rush them in a car and then take them to the, the game. And they were like, already on the pitch and then we had to put people in and then for the next day i'm like listen guys when we know time this is what it means you need to come a little early and then the same kid who was the last one to arrive he overcompensated it and then the next match he arrived five hours before the kickoff so the owner of the facility she rang me and she's like lucas do you know this kid i'm like yeah he's my he's my player oh he came here saying that he has a game I'm like yeah he does but it's like in five hours so is that literally that notion of sometimes uh, people were born or raised in places where time is more flexible. So if we didn't have a culture of understanding what it means to be on time for us, uh, then you start getting these things uh, uh, wrong. And sometimes players don't do that on purpose because they're, they're lazy, because they're bad people. It's just because they will do what they believe is right. And then we need to uh, identify things and areas for us to support them and to uh, help them. So one of the activities we did, for example, we we created an activity that they had to help Messi organize his day. So basically easy things such as, well, we need to organize your your, your football gear the, 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 the night before. You need to uh, use Google Maps to calculate how long it takes for you to go from one place to the other. We assume the kids knew how to do it. The kids were using Google Maps for the first time. And it was really cool to see that uh, we assume a lot when it comes to cultures and then we, and we are also not, it's not mandatory for us to know all the cultures, but that's why we need to come up with our own culture and then understand where the, the, the deficiencies are and hopefully try to support the kids on being on, on a, a level ground. Yeah, I really like that. I, I particularly like the, the process of making sure that like kids are used to, um, 
like checking Google Maps and seeing how long the journey actually takes and then doing it. Because I think that's a step that we don't realise it's it's not a natural thing to do. People don't naturally mm-hmm. think to do that. Um, so yeah, really, really fantastic, really interesting there. Um, yeah, just sort of uh, moving on from speaking around culture. I think we're talking about it a lot. Um, just make sure we're keeping the listeners uh, engaged. We'll, um, we'll we'll move into sort of the other aspect that you're quite um, specialised and I guess very interested in, which is coaching psychology. Um, so why is incorporating you know psychology into coaching so important? I think what coaches do it has a lot of psychology into it, and as psychology is becoming more prominent in sports, especially in football, we are still in many cases seeing psychology time and then coaching time. And when it comes to coaching, coaching happens on the pitch and then psychology happens in that boring uh, room. So I starting to see that there was a huge gap in, in our field in terms of trying to merge both together. Uh, some coaches who have the background in psychology or they're very aware of the psychological uh, factors in players, they do uh, apply these things without having the title of psychologist or anything in between. Uh, but coaches who don't have that awareness or they, they are not experienced enough to find that time in their coaching to apply the psychological uh, things into their game can always be supported by a, a psychologist or a psychology consultant. However, I do believe that that psychology professional needs to be part of the coaching staff, needs to be wearing the gear, such as you are right now, Antonio, and being on the pitch during training. So uh, I started doing this idea and when I was uh, coaching for, I was actually doing the sports psychologist, but I, I told the, the high school, the high school coach, I was like, I, I do want to join the, the staff, but I want to be seen as an assistant coach. I don't want to be seen as the, the the psychology guy who only sees them in the in the lecture in the lecture room. So, and then he was all on board that. So I was on the pitch. I was seeing the the girls. It was a, a varsity girls team. I was seeing the girls taking uh, shots on the target. I seen the girls being frustrated. I was on the pitch, and every time they came for a, a bottle of water, or they, they had a natural break, I just approach them like hey listen how does this look like for you like what are you thinking about where's your attention when when the ball was coming in to you so i'm starting to notice that i was able to compensate the 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 work of the coach by being a coach myself but with the hidden label of, of sports psychologist and i believe we can finally find that that blend where they can see right away the application of it and things are not very abstract as it is very often. It's like, okay, let's just do goal setting or let's just do imagery. Like, no, you took a shot in, on target. You came onto the line and while you're waiting, like you, I can't approach you. And then like, hey, what were you looking at? Were you looking at the ball? Were you looking at the target? Um, uh, what are you doing right now to try to like, uh, get your, your, your eyes off of the distraction and then just be more applied and, and, and having that instant feedback of them applying and getting, uh, and failing and hopefully succeeding. So that's where I see it. I, I see that that needs to be blended a little, a little more than what we have so far. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Lucas, psychology is sometimes best done in subtle moments like the water mm. break or 
the walk and talk or the five minute chat with the injured player who's doing some stretching at the side and I really like the way that you incorporate psychology into your coaching because we know that kids, young adults, they're active learners. So if the psychology can be educated throughout training practice, then the information is going to be stored best, I'd imagine. I've I've had experiences as a psychologist myself where you exercise the, the workshop room one too many times and then anytime you go into that space it's oh my god we're back in here again and then Mm -hmm. there becomes this at an early age these negative views of psychology where really psychology is something that should be positive and should be celebrated and should be used to our advantage rather than something that's only needed when we've done Mm -hmm. something wrong or there's crisis Mm -hmm. there so yeah I totally agree coaching psychology is something that's becoming more apparent and I couldn't advocate more for and agree with you advocating for psychology staff being a part of coaching team Mm. because just as like myself as a psychologist I'm not trained as a coach coaches aren't trained as psychologists either so it needs to be a a two-way street on there yeah and there's just a a thing to compliment this is not to say that the 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 one-to-one times and the the, the workshops are completely garbage. This is a compliment. This is a, a way for us to be like, tell them the theory or just understand more about them and then actually be next to them on the pitch when when they are in the place where they're supposed to perform and just being there for them and then just seeing their frustration. Because a lot of times I tell my sports psychology students, it's just like you should not just take the, the word of the athlete as, as the law. You need to be there. You need to see things that perhaps they're not uh, perceiving. That, that is happening to them because a lot of times people will give you the ideal answer but when you go there you see a completely different perspective that can complement and triangulate the, the answer so you can be closer to find where the problem is and then support the athlete to find the solution themselves with, with your uh, with your uh, expertise and then definitely that and the challenge I would say uh, Bradley as you said being someone like myself who has training in psychology and has training in coaching I need to be very careful when doing this because I need to respect the coach role. And I need to know that even though I'm part of the coaching staff, I'm not there to coach the tech, the the technical tactical. So what gives me an advantage is that I can listen to where the team is going for the technical tactical, and I can Mm -hmm. put things on top of that, but I need to be very careful. just like, Oh, don't go here, go there. Cause that's not what I'm supposed to do. So the challenge for that is for us to know, where the line is uh, because I'm very sure that since coaches have their egos all the way up high if you start getting into the the way of what they're trying to say they're saying them to stay wide but instead the, the sports psychologist is telling them to stay narrow you're going to rub people off the wrong way and I don't think you're going to hold your job for too long so you need to make sure that you're listening to the coach and then you're putting the psychological aspects on top of it to send them into the direction that the coach wants the team to go and that way i believe the coach is going to be your your the like your your best friend because you are uh solidifying what they're preaching but sometimes they don't have time to uh to 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 talk to individual players especially on the psychological side so it's they need to be careful with that approach yeah 
Yeah, I like that. Just on top of also uh, the conversation there around building and helping and supporting coaches rather than going against them. I think what we spoke what we spoke about before, Lucas, is also the fact that a lot of the times coaches use sort of, um, and you put it really nicely before, is that they use buzzwords. Um, so they use words such as confident, passionate, hungry, and they say to the players, oh, "I need you to be confident. I need you to be hungry. I need you. I need you to show me that you're being passionate." And and often players will turn around, and, and I know I was like this as a kid. I was like, "Okay, well, how can how can I be?" hungry how can I be confident how can I be passionate and it doesn't just have to come out through like aggression and and you know that's not what passion might mean but actually the players can then go and utilize someone like yourself who is going to be on the pitch with them in that role of of um, psychologist and you can speak to them and I think you said you know you can have that back and forth conversation um, around okay well what does confidence look like how can we be confident mm-hmm. and I think I really like that perspective again is almost supplementing the, the coach and, and giving them and giving the players that extra support on the pitch um, so I thought that that's a very fantastic thing to sort of re-highlight um, yeah. yeah definitely it's just a yeah so in in various cultures like that there's often often the these buzzwords or the hashtags that people say that are like very like classic that you can write on on a poster board but Again, it goes back to 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 the the social aspect of it, like the culture aspect of it. Whatever it is to be aggressive in one culture might not be aggressive in, in another one. And so, being there and actually show them what it is that confidence means that starts in the mind, and then how does it actually apply into like confidence means like chest up, making sure that your your foot is prepared, that you're looking at the right thing, and that by doing the right thing, knowing how the technique goes. It affects your brain again, which is going to feed back to it. So it's a cycle that if we if we work on both sides and then show their connection, I feel like they can be much stronger than just us saying those buzzwords, but without backing it up or how that actually looks like. And then because because in the end of the day, we're going to say like, are you not aggressive enough? But the kid doesn't even know what aggressive means. So it's just a we're not supporting them enough, and we we're just a I've it goes back to that assumption of just like whoever whoever's good will know what to do and whoever's not but some people just need one or two more instructions and then they would potentially be successful yeah yeah brilliant really great um on that sort of being being successful and, and supporting players how and i think we've already mentioned it there but how can footballers really utilize psychological coaching and psychologists to maximize their training yeah, so the first of all is is for, for them to to try to understand what, what, what they want to do and what is needed to be done to be successful. Uh, so a lot of a lot of athletes, unfortunately, they 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 their goals are valid goals, but their outcome and their their long term. But like, okay, I wanna I wanna I, I did my my undergraduate thesis, I interview a bunch of 15-year-olds playing for a first division team in Brazil. I was like, what, what do you want to accomplish? They all tell me, told me the same thing. I want to play for the national team. I want to play for the first team of this club. And I want to play abroad in Europe. But they don't know what they need to do to get there. So uh, where they need to improve, where they need to, to, to change, or some things that they, they, they can actually do to, to improve. So I would advise young athletes to keep those goals in mind have those because if if you're going into the elite level you need to think big you need to go crazy you need to go uh uh for for those uh big dreams 
But now bring it back to, okay, how do I score more goals if your job is to score more goals? What do I need to do in practice? How many techniques do I have? Can I solve problems? And the best way of doing these things is just asking coaches, observing other players and see what they are doing and then try to uh, not mimic, but just try to replicate those things in training and just not be repeating those words. I want to be this, I want to be this and forget what it needs to be done today in today's practice that will mm -hmm. lead you there. Because just having faith alone and just having the desire is not enough to become a football player. There's a lot of things that goes alongside uh, having that dream. So making sure that you are asking people about what it is that needs to be done and you finding your answers uh, and training for those. Otherwise, uh, a dream without a plan is just a wish. Mm. And uh, it, it reduces your chances of making to where you want to go. Yeah, uh, excellent. Uh, really, really good advice there. And um, just moving on to our, our next question is one of your roles that we discussed earlier was a late development scout at um, QPR, I believe. Um, could you tell us a bit more about this role and then, and then also what what was it as a late development scout that you were really looking for um, in players and what made them stand out to you? Yeah, so uh, the first thing is just trying to understand. I believe you guys understand, and especially for, for the listeners who, who are players, to have an idea that there's kind of like a tree when it comes to football. Uh, the higher you are in that tree, uh, more branches you're going to fall on until you hit the floor. So for example, if you're playing for a grassroots club and you get dropped out, that's pretty much the floor. You're just gonna be going into grassroots to grassroots. But if you are, for example, at a Cat One Academy for, for example, Chelsea or West Ham, uh, Man United, when you're dropped out of that uh, top branch, then you fall into the branch below. So a lot of clubs are at a, like a lower level than a Cat One. Are going to be looking for those people who got who have been dismissed from that cat the cat one teams and then the cat three are looking for the leftovers of the cat two and then it keeps going like that so basically what qpr was trying to do briefly on uh, last season was to try to spot kids who have been this uh dismissed or been let go from uh, cat one clubs that went on to play men's football in the step system. So they were playing non-league football, but at for, for, for adults. So instead of them like leaving West Ham and then going to, for example, uh, just uh, Crystal Palace, uh, then instead of going from Crystal Palace to like uh, Jillian, they actually, to play for under 18s, as an 18 year old, they went on to, they went on to play uh, adult football in a step three, in a step four. So that was our mission uh, there, try to identify these kids and then see how they were doing against uh, the, the men's teams. And then from there, just monitor them to see if they were having a good progress and hopefully bring them onto the QPRs and the 20s, uh, uh, under 18s, uh, so they can make up to uh, the, the first team. That was the idea. So basically what we we're looking for is just kids who, or were still eligible to play at the youth level at QPR, but were instead playing for uh, adult teams in the non-league uh, step system. Brilliant, yeah. And 
you know, what what were the attributes that you thought really helped players stand out? Um, yeah, and, and you you know when you were looking and and, and scouting out and look going to the, these different or watching either film or, or or going and seeing these players in live, what was it that that, that attributes you stood out for? I know we've mentioned before that you know culture and um, actually taking information on board, um, but yeah. yeah, what what was it that you you really looked for? The number one thing that I I I noticed is maturity. Mm. So. They, even though they were 18, 19, they had a posture like they were 25. They had a posture that they were 30 because they were operating in, in an environment where there were full-grown adults with semi-professional contracts and sometimes professional contracts. So they, none of the ones that I saw behaved like a boy. All of them behaved like an adult, whatever that 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 means. But it's just a... Uh, not be joking around, have a good posture, have uh, been physically strong, especially if you're playing uh, uh, around the back because of the physicality of the step system. So being mentally mature, mm. and not being too silly and in, in being on, on, on time, whatever that means for that club to be on time and also being physically mature in terms of you're able to at least be fast enough to not get a knock or, or strong enough to survive a knock if someone is coming 50-50 on you. These were the, the, the first things that even that at least just gave us a chance to go and see them. Because, for example, I've been to, to, to matches uh, for some of these kids that they didn't, even, they didn't even get onto the pitch. So I watched the whole game, but I didn't see them play because they were on the bench. And usually the ones who were on the bench were those who were talented, but they 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 didn't look as mature just just by the way they were sitting on, on the bench, just sitting all slashed like this instead of just having a good posture, and then have a strong voice when communicating with their teammates. So these were the the, the differences that I've noticed uh, from from observing them. Yeah, that's great. I think as well. I, I know we've we've sort of mentioned a lot of buzzwords just then um, on what's looked for. But again, like you said there, sitting there with good posture when you're in the dugouts, not on the pitch. But um, this, when we say good posture, we mean being actively engaged. So watching the game, you know, sitting forward in the chair, listening to what the coach or manager or, or gaffer, and they've got many different names for these mm-hmm. positions, listen, listening to what they're saying and listening to the tactics, perhaps again, like re- um, if it's communication they're looking for, then actually, you know, they're also repeating the tactics out to their fellow players to make sure that this information is getting put across. Mm-hmm. These are, you know, again, these are sort of breaking down those buzzwords that we're talking about there to make it more relatable to players that are going to be listening. Um, it's all yeah. stuff that, that, that and, you know, you mentioned that it's looking for and really valued. Again, obviously turning up on time. Um, another important one. I don't think I don't think there's been a team I've been a part of that hasn't mentioned that as something that's important. Um Yes, that's fantastic and really good advice. I had another thought, but it's just gone out of my head, so hopefully it wasn't too important. Brad, have you got anything yourself on that? No, just like the importance of body language. I think we speak about body language mm. a lot on the pitch and what players should be displaying, but that's given that a bit of another angle. Like body language when you're maybe deselected could be a sort of means to get yourself back into the thoughts of the management team or the coaching team or like in Lucas's context, even uh, coaching, uh, scouting staff as well. So body language is important. I think we've banged on about it a lot and players maybe don't see that it's that important. But 
hopefully that provides another little angle on the importance of it. Yeah, definitely. And I think one last thing I just wanted to get in there, I just remembered my thought that I had was, you know, come and come and ask myself you know, or Brad or, um, you know, one of your coaching staff about, you know, if we use these buzzwords and you don't quite fully understand them, come and ask us, get that information in, ensure that you're you're clear and, and you understand what the coach is asking from you so you can actually go away and do this. And again, just like, Lucas was saying earlier on, you can do those small steps and small term goals to try and reach that level where you are looking physically um, fit and able to be on that pitch. You are looking confident and proud. Um, you are having the ability to be vocal because you've developed that confidence off the pitch um, by doing the small practicing and developing those small skills that will really add up over time. Um, so I just wanted to put that one in there before we moved on. Um, Moving on and uh, I guess transitioning to another country where where you were um, where you got your PhD, um, which was at Michigan State University, uh, and you had a, a very influential supervisor. Who I'll, I'll let you speak about yourself in just a second. Um, what did you learn from seeing how sports psychology was implemented in America? Because I know it's it's a very forward thinking country when it comes to sports psychology support. Yes, definitely. So. Uh... I believe I was at the right place to learn what I learned. But in the end of the day, I didn't see myself staying there and just maybe like getting the knowledge that I got and then bringing it into mainland Europe and also to South America in terms of trying to expand uh, the same area uh, in other countries as well. So I was I was being supervised by Daniel Gould, which is the uh, the co-author of Weiberg and Gould, its foundation of sport and exercise psychology, which is like one of the legends in in sports psych but the, the cool thing about him just like working with him you learn a lot of things about how to be a humble professional uh, and the biggest lessons were not what he taught us deliberately but just how he behaved and we realized that we want to copy uh, those uh, behaviors and the way he he was a hard worker and very humble very polite always like trying to be funny so this a lesson that I've taken is just like sometimes like uh, the, the the players are not necessarily learning from what we preach them but actually they're learning from observing what we do actually you must be very uh, aware of what we do and when it comes to sports psychology in the u.s is that as you said antonio is very is much more developed there and i believe it's a reflection of society so the mm. the american society is a, is a society in general exceptions apply it's a society of excellence so i've never seen any other country on earth other than China and the US where there are so many type A people. And so these are people who are, whatever they put their hands on, they don't wanna be just another one. They wanna be the best. So if a child in the US, exceptions apply, uh, learn how to play the drums, they wanna be the best drummer. If they want to play, they want to learn how to fix cars, they will be the best uh, person fixing cars. And that mentality is, is just in the culture that they're always then trying to find an edge, something extra that other people don't have so they can have that performance advantage on other people so they can actually be the number one. Uh, so the, the society there pushes, pushes that development uh, forward. And then that's where people start looking in psychology uh, to support them having that edge on becoming much better. The downside of that society, in my humble opinion, is because there's so much pushing, so much pressure, that anxiety and depression and other 
psychological traumas become a very high risk. So for example, when I was working at the high schools in Michigan, I've never seen so many 15, 16, 17 year olds struggling with like severe anxiety and having panic attacks, which created another need for sports psychology to be around because kids were just having panic attacks because of the SATs, which is the equivalent in the UK, GCSEs, and the pressure that they always had in school to be the best. No one wants to be the worst. No one wants to be second. And... So that society way of doing things just create that need for for something else. And in this case, it's the psychology to come in and giving them the edge that they need to to perform better and to beat the the, the opposition. Uh, whereas in in the US, in in Europe, it, it's not as much. So I feel like there's more balance in like life and work balance. People want to do good work, but they don't want to sacrifice exceptions apply they don't want to sacrifice their well-being uh to be the best one and just like do one thing and and just be crazy about that one so it's very cultural uh that in the u.s i in my in my opinion that that that, that need for the edge performance edge mm. yeah fascinating really interesting there that it's almost it's gone it's, it's, it's there, but it's almost gone to like one extreme, which means that there's that extra support needed to be there and, and put in place. Um, I found that really interesting. Just uh, yeah, just something that I'd been interested in. So I wanted to throw it in and, and just see what your experience has been like. And we're starting to sort of come towards the close um, of our episode. So we've, we've just got our sort of two generic questions we always ask towards the end. So the first one is, um, what are your top three tips for looking after your own well-being? The, the, the first thing is just to understand that my identity goes beyond the sport or beyond my profession. Uh, I had a huge crisis of identity uh, around COVID, and probably I'm not alone in that one. When, when coaching was taken away from me, I felt like I was taken away from me. I, didn't, I, I started to ask about like what else in my life brings happiness to me. And I noticed that I was very limited and everything in my life was around football. So if someone can take away something from what I learned was I, I, I stopped reading books about football and I, 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 went, I started reading books about different stuff, just things that had nothing to do with football. I started watching uh, different sports that had nothing to do with football. I started hanging out uh, to places that had nothing to do with football. So I was expanding my identity into other areas so I can be a more complete person because I, I don't know how long football is going to be in my life. And if that's been taken away from me, like what else do I have left? And mm-hmm. I'll be a frustrated person that like, I wish uh, I've done this. I wish I've done that. So uh, I, I moved away from football and that has made me a, a more wholesome person and to value football more because when I talk about football, I, 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 I know my limited there, my time is limited there. So I do my best at that short amount of time. Instead of just like thinking that football is forever and, and it may not be. So for a player right now, for example, what else do you do? Like, what else are you good at? Do you know how to play an instrument? Do you know a different language? Do you hang out with people who are outside from football, like your, your, your friends? Uh, do you watch movies that have nothing to do with sports? Just to expand your mind. I think that's the, 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 the number one thing. The number two thing is just learning how to say no. Uh, I learned that in my first year of my of my PhD is uh, that, that one of my peers came to me and said, like, the biggest lesson you need to learn here is how to say no. 
sometimes we're always excited to do a bunch of things and we want to be part of this. We want to play uh, in this team. We want to play in that. So for example, one of the things, my beefs with the, the London context in, in football is that, especially, especially at the grassroots level, that kids are playing for multiple teams at the same time. So they say yes to a team here and then they, they let some, uh, someone down and they say yes to another team. They let the other team down. So like learn how to say no is something that has really helped me uh, give more value to my time in mm. terms of I can do one or two things really well instead of trying to em- embrace the world and then half-ass, excuse my language, everything that I do. So uh, that was the, the, the number two lesson. And number three is just to, it's just to take some time off. Uh, I Something that I want to share in this podcast, like uh, being in the U.S., being in a culture that it was all about, as I said, Taipei and energy and that we need to be best, we need to be best. I struggle a lot with anxiety when I was there because I was being pushed to a level that I was never used to. Uh, I had panic attacks uh, and, and I struggled with it for a year and a half. and until then, I thought these things were just BS. I thought these things didn't exist until like, I, I started seeing myself being unable to go for a jog or literally climb upstairs without having the feeling that my heart was just going to race. And uh, that's when I decided that U.S. was probably not the place for me because like, I value my, my well-being uh, a lot. And I wanted to go to a place that I wanted I want to do good work. I want to move forward. I want to push the, the, the industry forward, but I don't want to sacrifice my own well-being. So I, I learned how to like shut, shut, like shut down my, my laptop and sometimes just go do something else and then relax, watch a movie instead of just like saying yes to everything and then just feeling overwhelmed uh, with all the commitments that I made. So I, I think that these were my the three, three, three things that work for me that hopefully you can hit someone in a different way and, and work for, for them as well. I think that's great. I really value how honest and open you've been there. I think it's fantastic. I think it's something that our players will not only be able to relate to, but be able to learn from as well. So excellent answer there. And we really value that. And our final one before we let you um, sort of take control of the podcast and, and discuss whatever you would like to is, um, and because you've given such good advice throughout this, I think it's just keeping it to just what is one sort of word of advice you'd give to a young player or a young academy player? Keep your options open. That's my number one thing. Just don't don't think you're you're a footballer. You are you you are a young person. You you are a son. You are a daughter. You are a brother. You are a sister. You are a student. Uh, sometimes you are a father. You are a mother. Mm. You are part of your religion. You're part of your community and you are a footballer. Don't think you're just a footballer because otherwise, as I just said, if football is taken away from you, what else is left? Mm. So remember all the roles you have in life and enjoy every single one of them as much as you enjoy being on the pitch. Yeah, fantastic. Excellent. Thank you very, very much for that, Lucas. And um, before we, we wrap things up and um, we let you go, um, what you know, obviously we're privileged to have you on the podcast and you've been doing so much stuff. So is there anything that you would like to share with our listeners around yourself, around some of your work or perhaps where they'd be best to reach out and they can find you? Yes, definitely. Just a leave a homework for, for everyone who, who wants to do that homework. There's a, a book in, in uh, about a Swedish player. Now it was turning to a movie. 
The book's called the In the Shadow of San Siro. And the, the movie is now called Why Tiger. It's kind of hard to, to find that, that movie because it's all in Swedish, but they have like subtitles and everything. It's about this like top-notch young player from Sweden who was scouted and started to play for Inter Milan. And he started struggling a lot with anxiety and he didn't tell anyone until he found himself waking up at a hospital and just identifying that like he should have had chat with people before those things. It's a true story. Uh, so it's really nice uh, for people to get their hands on uh, either the movie or the book or just watch videos uh, on it on, on YouTube. Uh, when it come, comes to what's going on with me, so right now I'm, I'm lecturing at London Metropolitan University. So everyone who's interested in looking into get uh, a coaching degree or a sports psychology degree, just please consider our our, our programs in, in central uh, North London. We're very soon going to have a, a nice revamp of the program. So uh, we're bringing new concepts, new ideas of this blend, which is very unique of coaching and psychology. Sometimes you find programs that are only coaching or only psychology. This is going to be one of the unique ones that you're going to learn how to do both together, uh, as I just, uh, just mentioned. Uh, if people want to reach out to me, uh, I'm always open to uh, connecting and, and chatting with people on, on LinkedIn. Just look for me, uh, Lucas S. Capalbo, which is C-A-P-A-L-B-O. Uh, on LinkedIn, if you guys want to watch my, my, my TED Talk as well, it's called Soccer and Life Skills, uh, which is available on YouTube. Half of those views are my, are my parents because <laughs> they watch it all the time, including myself. And... And uh, I'm taking a sabbatical now from, from coaching, uh, uh, just focusing on myself and on my work, on my family. Uh, but the next season, I'm, I want to be back in, into coaching. So if anyone's listening now and is looking for, <laughs> for an assistant coach uh, and a cat one, cat two, like I, I throw my, my, my hat in the ring. Uh, and definitely open for new opportunities for the 24-25 season. Uh, and thanks again. Thanks a lot for the opportunity. Hopefully this can hit someone in different ways and it can make a difference to help the industry uh, move forward. No, I think, thank you very much from me, Lucas. It's fantastic having you on. Um, I can advocate that the TED Talk is is a great listen. Um, alongside Lucas and his parents, there's definitely myself has listened to that. I know Brad has as well. So definitely give it a little listen. It was really good. I enjoyed it, found it really interesting and found it very similar to some of the work we're trying to do here at the Young Player Wellbeing Podcast in developing life skills. Um, Brad, anything from yourself, mate? No, I just thought I was brilliant, Lucas. Thanks for everything. Uh, the points on identity at the end seem to come up a lot on this program, so or on this podcast. So I don't think our players have any excuses for not exploring <laughs> other parts of that at this point. Um, just to say thanks and and good luck focusing on the the kind of lecturing side of things for the year, and hopefully uh, you can be contributing. Uh, effectively in the 24-25 season mate uh, I thought your tips around looking after your well-being were good as well and resonated with me in terms of just say no because sometimes that can be too much of a people pleaser so appreciate the advice and drilling that into me once again <laughs> happy to help yes fantastic well thank you very much and uh, to the listeners it's bye for now and we'll catch you next week cheers